0: Today, we start a seven-sermon series on Christian faith, entitled, Try a Little Faith. Try a lot of faith, but try faith. We will approach this concept of faith in many different ways, and we hope at the end of this series of sermons, your faith will be stronger, or you will have found faith or you will have understood your own faith better. And through all that, we hope that your quality of your lives will be improved through faith, and through you, the lives of others will be improved. There are a lot of stories about faith. A guy named Sam finds himself in dire trouble. His business went bankrupt, and he's in serious financial difficulty. Now, he's a man of faith, so he decides to ask God for help. And he begins to pray, God, please help me. I've lost my business, and if I don't get some money, I'm going to lose my house as well. Please help me win the lottery. (laughs) Lottery night comes along. Doesn't win. Sam again prays, God, please help me win the lottery. I've lost my business, my house. I'm going to lose my car as well. Lottery night comes along and Sam doesn't win again. Once again, he prays, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've lost my business. I've lost my house and my car. And my wife and children are hungry. I don't often ask you for help. I've always had great faith in you. Please, please. Just let me win the lottery with this one time so I can get my life back together again. Suddenly, the sky opens, a bright light shines, and a voice says, Sam, this is God. I appreciate your faith, but meet me halfway on this. Buy a ticket. Today's sermon will deal with a key foundation of the Christian faith, and that is just who and what is the meaning of Jesus Christ. Just a little topic. won't take long. The classic definition of the Christian faith is contained in the second reading of today, which you are all familiar, Hebrews 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. This is expanded by Paul in our first reading from Corinthians, where he says, Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. These definitions make it clear that we have difficulty in having faith in things we cannot see. For instance, while we talk to Jesus in prayer, we can't talk to him in person. We can't see his facial expressions, his body movements, and especially his eyes when he speaks. We can't shake his hand or hug him. Therefore, faith in Jesus Christ and all that he stands for can be difficult because we as humans are a visual people. When we talk about our understanding of the world, we always say, well, we see the world this way. Our sight is fundamental to the way we live. If we were dogs, it would be a sense of smell. Literally, dogs see the world through their noses. Have you ever watched two dogs and how they get to know each other? They go right to a certain part of each other's anatomy and they smell it intently and then they become friends. As humans, we are blessed by five physical senses, primarily vision, to experience our world. However, we as Christians can experience a world we do not see. That experience is based on faith. It is because we are a visual people that we can have a difficult time in believing things we can't see. That is why my sermon is entitled A Big Leap or a Small Step of Faith. For some of us, it is easier to have faith in things we cannot see than it is for others of us. There's an old story that illustrates this concept of faith in that which cannot be seen. A man was traveling down a desert two-lane road, out in the middle of nowhere. Car breaks down. He starts to walk, and he walks, and he walks for hours, and he's getting really thirsty. And he's beginning to think, you know, I'm not going to make it. All of a sudden, he sees this old shack, and right next to it is a water pump. So he goes up to the water pump, and attached to the water pump is this old tin can. And in the tin can, there is a message that had obviously written a while ago in pencil. And this is the message. This water pump works, but it has to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water. Out of the sun and the cork end up. There, just enough water is in it to prime the pump. Pour in about a quarter of the bottle in the pump, and it will soak the mechanism of the pump. Then pour in the rest of the bottle of water, medium fast, and begin to pump. Make sure you pour all of the water from the jar into the pump, and definitely don't drink any from the bottle. You'll get water. The well has worked for centuries, and it has never run dry. When you have all the water you want, fill the bottle, put it back where you found it, for the next person. So how would we react, react to this situation? We have a sure solution to our problem and that we got a bottle of water to drink. However, we also know that it would be a temporary fix, and we would soon become very thirsty again. However, if we use all the water as directed to get the pump to work, and if the pump does not work, we've lost a chance for at least some water. You see, we can see the water in the bottle. We cannot see the water coming out of the pump. Which will we choose? That which we can see or that which we have faith in? Good question. I'm going to discuss four points dealing with the concept of faith in Jesus the Christ. Again. Small topic, we'll be here for about five hours. The first is, was Jesus a real person who walked this earth? Is he an actual historical figure? Now, we know the Bible establishes that Jesus was among those who lived approximately 2,000 years ago. But what about independent, non-biblical sources? Many Jesus historians state that the most important reference to Jesus outside of the Bible comes from the Roman historian Tacitus. He was a Roman senator and lived from around 57 AD to around 130 AD. In reporting on the Emperor Nero's decision to blame the Christians for the fire that virtually destroyed Rome in 64 AD, he states... Nero fastened guilt on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populist. Christ, for whom the name had its origin, suffered the crucifixion during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of Pontius Pilate and a most mischievous superstition, Christianity, thus checked for the moment but again broke out, not only in Judea, the source of the evil, but also here in Rome. One of the most cited references to Jesus outside the Bible comes from Josephus, a Roman Jewish historian who lived roughly 37 to 100 A.D. He wrote his classic work called Jewish Antiquities about the condemnation of a person called James by the Jewish Sanhedrin. In describing James, he writes, he was the brother of Jesus, the so-called Christ. The Apostle Paul just happens to say that James is the brother of Christ in Galatians 1:19. I always get a kick out of this. Pliny the Younger, as opposed to Pliny the Older, which was his father, who lived approximately 61 through 113 A.D., was a lawyer, author, and magistrate in ancient Rome. Pliny served as an imperial magistrate under the emperor Trajan in the area now known as Turkey. He wrote many letters to Trajan on how to govern the territory he governed. In one letter written around 112 A.D., he asked about the appropriate way to conduct legal proceedings against those who were charged with being Christians. He needed the emperor's advice because there were many people of every age, class, and gender being accused. And in the letter he writes, the Christians were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light when they sang alternative verses of a hymn to Christ as God. There are more non-biblical references to either Jesus or his followers in the ancient texts but I submit to you that based upon the non-biblical sources when combined with the biblical sources in the Bible it is not a step it is not a leap of faith to believe that Jesus walked this earth 2,000 years ago it is a fact second If Jesus is an historical figure, just who was he? Here is where the small step or giant leap of faith comes in. Because according to the well-established doctrines and fundamental concepts of the Christian faith, Jesus was far more, you know this, far more than an ordinary man. In the first few centuries after Jesus, there was a lot of discussion in the rapidly growing growing Christendom of just what the nature of Jesus was. That, by the way, this could be another sermon topic about that time. That discussion ultimately culminating in a meeting of the leaders of the church from all over Christendom in the Council of Nicaea, which took place in 365 A.D., The council declared unequivocally that Jesus Christ was the son of God, co-eternal with the father and begotten from his same substance, arguing that such a doctrine best codified the scriptural presentation of the son, as well as traditional Christian beliefs about it, about him handed down from the apostles. This belief was expressed by the bishops as the Nicene Creed, which many of you are familiar with and which is still used in church services today. That creed was in part based upon the gospel narratives describing just who Jesus was. And, of course, the greatest one is from John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. An even more dramatic fact, I believe, establishing the significance of Jesus Christ is that centuries and centuries and centuries. A people with faith in him have preceded us here today. In faith, they believed, among other titles, that Jesus was, in fact, the son of God. Many of those people paid the ultimate price for their faith in their death. So, did all of those millions and millions and millions of people get it wrong? Were they part of some giant conspiracy? Or through their faith, did they find justification to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? More specifically, there have been numerous leaders since the time of Jesus and even before Jesus who claim to be divine and have supernatural powers. And yet, they died the death that all of us will and many have before. What happened to them? When that divine leader died, those followers were wiped from the pages of history. Well, that is certainly not the case with respect to the followers of Jesus Christ. We all know that since the time of Jesus, Christianity has grown to be one of the great, if not the great religions of the world. Third, what is the meaning to us that Jesus is the son of God? As I said before, the body of Jesus is no longer with us, so we can't visualize what that status means. Therefore, we need to take that small step or giant leap of faith to understand just what Jesus means to us. My favorite theologian, Marcus Borg, described the meaning of Jesus in one of my favorite literature passages. He says, and listen very carefully to this. Jesus is, for us Christians, the decisive revelation of what a life full of God looks like. Radically centered in God, filled with the spirit. He is the decisive disclosure of the epiphany of what can be seen in God in human life. As the word and the wisdom Of God became human flesh. His life incarnates the character of God. Indeed, the passion of God. Yes, in Jesus Christ, we see the passion of God. Borg also wrote. God is the heart of reality. And Jesus is the heart of God. Fourth. What is the meaning to us of the Jesus Christ of faith? I suggest that if by faith we believe that the life and teachings of Jesus are what can be seen of God embodied in human form, that is one heck of a miracle that we cannot afford to ignore. It means that we as Christians need to believe that the teachings of And the promises of Jesus Christ are true. And that we can rely upon them in the living of our everyday lives. In other words, if we are to have faith in what Jesus Christ, the heart of God, did and taught, we can live a much fuller, richer, and happy life. We can live our lives trusting and believing that, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We know how to treat one another because love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. We can confidently live our lives without worry or anxiety because do not worry saying, What will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows what you need and that you do need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. And we can live our lives with confidence and courage because Jesus taught, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Do not fear. Only believe. These biblical verses are a small example of the teachings of Jesus Christ. These biblical verses are a small example of the promises to us by Jesus Christ. We are called to bring these teachings and these promises into our lives. And if we do, if we do, another miracle will occur. Because if we live the life of Jesus Christ, if we have faith in his teachings, if we follow his promises... And guess what? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive right here and now. Jesus is alive in us. You and me. What a glorious gift that is to us and to all those who come in contact with us. I sincerely pray that that miracle will occur to each and every single one of us. Amen.